I'm going to bring a message that is near and dear to my heart. And I just trust that the Holy Spirit will give you ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us at Northgate and actually to the church on the globe. I'm actually in a prayer group right now where people every day are praying 24-7. I don't know how many of you are jumped on that. I sent it out to the core email. You can do it. But 24-7, there's believers in every nation praying for an awakening over the planet. They're praying for a revelation of Jesus and for revival. So it's so fun. I get on there on the Zoom and there'll be a Japanese person praying and then there's somebody from Russia praying from the church in Russia and there's somebody from the church of Ukraine praying. And how many of you know we're of one nation in Jesus? There's one nation under God, right? And in the Holy Spirit. And so a chosen people. It's so fun because there's a whole bunch of believers who believe. Do you know that you can be a believer and not believe? There's a lot of doubting believers. I hope that changes today for you. A believer, believer who believes the whole book. Not just the part that makes you feel good. But the part that challenges you. We weren't called to be comfortable. We were called to be on mission with God. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're the teacher and you're the guide and you're the one who brings the word. I'm just, I'm just one of your sons, Father. I, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be in this room, that you would convict us, you would encourage us. For those who need comforted, you would comfort. Um, Holy Spirit, you're the one who is the active divine person on the earth in this hour um, to guide your people, to direct your people, to save your people, to deliver your people. And so help us to be tender and sensitive to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to open your Bibles, you can open the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts. We actually haven't preached a ton from the book of Acts. There is a little bit of an assumption since it's a familiar book and story that you are familiar with what happens in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, especially, but also Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and beyond. There, there's so much uh, that we could get into, but we're taking, uh, we're taking these 10 days, and I'll get into it in a minute, to prepare our hearts for Pentecost. I don't know if you know this, but we're in day four after 40 days. Jesus was 40 days after he's raised from the dead. He's teaching his disciples. And then he says, gives them his last words. Right? How many of you know probably the last words of Jesus is pretty important? And so he gives them his last words. And if I were just to ask you on the off the cuff, what was Jesus' last words to his disciples, to his followers, a lot of us would quote Matthew 28. And we say, well, he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what? Go. Go and make disciples. Most of us say those were his last words. Go, make disciples of all nations. But those weren't his last words. His last words were, Wait, don't go, wait. Acts 1 verse 4 is he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, 
but to wait for what the Father has promised or had promised. Say promise. It's, a, it's an important word to keep a hold of through this whole message. Something the Father promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they were to wait, what for? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 24, if he goes back, Luke is actually the author of Acts 2, but he's picking up on this when Jesus said earlier on, he said, Luke 24, 49, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Some of your Bibles say endued with power from on high. Now, a lot of people say the church was birthed at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on those 120 that were praying and waiting in Jerusalem for 10 days. They didn't know how long they were going to wait. They just were told to wait until, right? And we know now on this side, it was 10 days. And next week, we'll talk about how Pentecost means 50. That word means 50. Penta, the Pentagon is like, or the Penta... Graham is what? Five-sided, right? Cost is the word times 10. That's what Pentecost means, five times 10, 50. And so Pentecost was 50 days that happened 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. <clears throat> but these guys were waiting. These people were waiting. They were praying, and they were waiting upon the Lord. Now, one of the things that I came to realize not that many years ago, was honestly, this was not when the church was birthed. This is when the church got empowered. The church got birthed in John chapter 20. When he, Jesus comes through the wall, he doesn't even knock on the door, he just comes through the wall, the disciples are hiding. I'll pick it up in John chapter 20, since my wife already has it up there for you. When he came through the wall, he said, peace be with you. And then when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is a big phrase for us to capture. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So these disciples had already experienced the born again salvation where they saw him, they believed in him as the one who was raised from the dead, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Their born again experience did not happen at Pentecost. This is a big thing for the church to understand because there's a lot of people in the churches. Do not believe in a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you today that it is God's plan that there would be not just one subsequent spirit or experience of the Holy Spirit, but actually we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And we're actually, as a church, we're actually leaning in to that work. I'm leaning into that work. If you guys aren't, that's fine. I'm sorry you aren't, but I am. Acts 1.8, look at this. And you shall receive power. Somebody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my 
witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the most parts of the earth. I like to put it in our context. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in your neighborhood, in the Matanuska Valley, in Alaska, and to the most parts of the earth. To be his witnesses, you have to receive power of the Holy Spirit. This is so real to me right now because um, I did a funeral last week of a, a, a lady that died before, I would say, appropriate time. She was only 47. And, um, and I looked for a witness of Christ in her life and in her family. And I, and I honestly, I, I didn't find one. And not that it was not there, not that she didn't have an encounter with the Lord Jesus as she was dying. I don't know. I can't say if she was in heaven or not. I'm not, that's not my place to say. But there was no witness that I could find. And, and sadly enough, some of our church family have been around her quite a bit. I trust that they got, she got, she heard the gospel. God has a desire for your neighbors. Did you know that? God has a desire for your coworkers. Young people, you're going to camp this week. I'm so excited for you guys. Get blessed big time. Come on. I pray that you get so empowered by the Holy Spirit that you can't keep your mouth shut about Jesus. Because God has a desire for your classmates. And he has a desire for those people we walk by in the stores. And he has a desire for your neighbors. And everywhere you go, your feet shall trod. There are people that God has a desire. And what's the desire? 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Peter 2.9 says, he wishes that how many perish? Not one perish. But come to repentance. Last summer, I got to spend quite a bit of time with my three older grandsons. And so we started memorizing scripture together. And hopefully, if I ask Bryson or Blake or Elijah, what's John 14, 6? They can like immediately say, oh, I know that one. I won't put them on the spot because they'll probably never memorize the scripture with me again. But John 14, 6, Jesus says what? I am and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Every person in this room should have that on the front of their tongue. How many of you know that we're going to need the boldness that comes with the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in this culture that's growing in hostility against the message of Jesus? How many of you know that you're going to need a fresh endowment of power to face up to people who say Christians are the problem? And you're intolerant because you say there's only one way to God. How many of you know you have family members that need to hear you tell them again, hey man, I just know, I just know that God loves you so much. I need you to know there is no way to be right with God apart from the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. We are going to need a fresh endowment of power. 
And we're leaning in for that as a church. I'm leaning that as a, in, as a pastor. There's a story of D.L. Moody. It's a fun story. A lot of people, actually people that um, are in D.L. Moody's Institute, Moody Institute of the Bible, um, they kind of have taken this part of his story out of the history books. In fact, I was talking to a pastor who actually went to D.L. Moody, and he found out later, not when he was at seminary, found out later that D.L. Moody had an encounter of the power and work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he was a pastor who preached in Chicago. There was a great fire in Chicago, and a whole bunch of people died. And before that fire, this is what happened. He had two women in his church in their 80s. And he, he, they were delightful ladies. And when he began to preach, he said, I could tell that they were praying. One Sunday, they came up to me and they said, we're praying for you. And he said, well, you need to pray for the people. And these two ladies said, no, we're praying for you because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, I thought I had the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, we're praying. <laughs> the Chicago fire, his story, as he tells his story, the Chicago fire killed a whole bunch of people. And all of a sudden, the burden for the lost came on his soul. He was walking through the city of Chicago, crying out to God, God, I've got to have more power. I can't preach message after message after message and only see a few people get saved. And this is what he said happened. He said, on that day, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me with such power. I had this experience of love that was almost painful. I asked him to stay his hand because I was so shook by the power of God. When I went back to the pulpit, I preached the same messages, but the power of God showed up. And many people got saved. Dale Moody, when he, had it, he created his college, his institute, when people graduated from his institute, they learned all the knowledge of the Bible, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. So he would take them out into the woods and he said, we're staying here until the endowment of power of the Holy Spirit comes. I do not want, want to put preachers in the pulpit without the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not be coming from my college unless you get empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's sad that many people raised up in that seminary don't even know that story about D.L. Moody. My story, I was raised in a Bible teaching church and I was discipled by people who were so concerned about the excesses of the Holy Spirit's work that they didn't really teach me about the reality of the Holy Spirit's work. My discipleship included teaching of warning me about excesses of the Holy Spirit and that he no longer does the things in the book of Acts. That was my discipleship. Great people, great hearts, wonderful believers, except not the truth about the Holy Spirit. So I became a pastor here. At that time, we were called Crossroads Community Church. And I served for about six, seven years before I realized I needed more power. I served in my own strength, and I was tired. 
And I was provoked by scriptures like John 14, 12, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, young people, you need to hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, Bryson, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me shall do the works that I do and even greater works shall he do. Is that just pretense from Jesus? This is the word of Jesus to his disciples. So these kind of scriptures provoked me and I ended up going to places where God was pouring out his spirit. And I was in a service with Brenda, my wife. It was uncomfortable because some things were happening that we did not understand. But God touched us powerfully in that place. And then I, you guys, many of you know my story, but then I went and took a couple of elders. We went to Brazil on a missions trip. I'll never forget the first person I prayed for, hoping that God would heal them. And it was a lady that was in the service with her husband. Her husband was pointing at her. Pray for her. Pray for my wife right here. Because she was in pain and she was writhing back and forth. She was under the oppression of a demonic spirit. And this friend of mine from San Francisco, who I just met, we went to her. We didn't know for sure what we were doing. All we were doing was hoping that God, Jesus, would show up and deliver this lady. And, and you've heard me share this story, but she's writhing. She's sweating profusely. And we're just binding every spirit we can think of. We're loosing the gift of Holy Spirit. We're saying, be free in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden... She becomes still. Her face just is covered with hair still, sweating hair. So we're looking at her. Her, They speak Portuguese, so I don't, you know, we can't really communicate too well. I didn't have a translator that first day. Her husband kind of looks at her, looks at us and goes... The next day, I'm in the same church in service, a large church, 5,000 people. Same service. I looked to where this couple, because I just wanted to find what happened. I looked up to this couple, and this gal sitting by her husband totally looked like a different person, beautiful, with a big smile. And she sees me looking at her, and she's doing like this, and she's going, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. She started inviting her neighbors to the services. And to tell a long story, make it very short, one of her neighbors had incurable uterus cancer. And I prayed for her several times. And then one service, the Holy Spirit came upon me, endued me with power, whispered in my ears. How many of you know that Jesus cares about the one? Whispered in my ears, this anointing, he didn't use the word anointing, he just said, this is for Mariette. She's the one with cancer. So when Randy released us, I ran to where Mariette was sitting next to Mary, Maria, who had been healed and delivered from a demonic presence. And I said, Mariette, the Lord's going to heal you today. The power of God hit that woman. She went out in the spirit and she shook for 25 minutes. Seven days later, this tumor was big as a grapefruit. It disappeared seven days later. She came with a doctor's report, said she's cancer free. Now, this is why he said, wait. He said, wait for the endowment 
of power. Now, I have to admit to you, I've actually seen videos of, of preachers and pastors that exaggerate. They go on an emotional rant to try to get people to receive the Holy Spirit, experience the Holy Spirit. And, and I've, I've watched the things that happened in the 50s and 60s when God was pouring out um, healing, of a lot of healing evangelists. And I've watched the videos and it, I don't enjoy it because it looks showy. How many can witness to that? And, and, but unfortunately, the church has reacted to the showiness and some of the exaggeration by saying it's not available today. Oh, my goodness. So where is America now? How many people are getting saved every day? In the book of Acts, they added to their numbers daily. How many of you say we need more power of the Holy Spirit? I came back from Brazil, and my wife will tell you, my kids will tell you, and many in this church tell you, Pastor Dennis is ruined for the ordinary. I was just thinking during worship, just thinking, you know, the God who created Pioneer Peak lives in you. Come on, church. The God who put the stars in the sky and knows them by name lives in you. We've been all, we've become all too familiar with a God we don't hardly know. How about Jesus? How did he do what he did? Look at Acts 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with them. Here's a truth that I didn't know when I was being discipled. I didn't realize that Jesus lived his life as a human. Even though he was fully God. Philippians 2 clearly says he set aside his privileges of God. He still was the divine creator who went to the cross and died for you. But he did not act as God on the earth. He acted as a man, surrendered to the will of the Father. In relation to the Father, he says, I only do what the Father's doing. I only say what the Father's saying. And empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? So when he says, follow me, he's not asking you to do something that he didn't already demonstrate that you could do. Can you just make a statement right now? I'm a believing believer. And say, forgive my doubt, Lord. The Son of Man, it says in 1 John 3 8, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. And then Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so send I. You, what's your assignment? Somebody say, destroy the works of the devil. Somebody say it again, destroy the works of the devil. I just wonder, I just, you know, I just, I'm just be transparent where my mind goes sometimes. When I, when I heard about an 18-year-old that was so taken over by an evil spirit that, that he would buy guns and go to school and kill kids and teachers, all, all I can think about is, 
Were there any believers, believing believers in his sphere of influence that could have set him free from a demonic oppression? This, this young man, I grieve for the parents, I grieve for the siblings, I grieve for the community. I'm like broken hearted for this evil thing that was done in Texas. But on the other side, I'm going, where are the believing, anointed believers that are setting kids like that free? Do you hear me, church? Why why does America need an awakening? Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit to set those kind of guys free. This is an 18-year-old boy that Jesus died for. Jesus cared about that young man. The power of darkness overcame him. For some reason, somehow, I don't know the full story. As the Father sent me, so send I you. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. You are his sent ones. Somebody say, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if this is truth, which I believe it is, is the God, word of God, then who would be the one that would confuse the church about the empowering work of the Holy Spirit? The devil. The devil is the one that causes confusion and controversy over being baptized by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that loses if the church gets empowered. He's the one that loses if the church gets on fire and under the authority of the set people free. The devil loses, so what's he going to do? He's going to lie. He's going to lie you, deceive you. He's going to cause churches to argue against each other. He's going to cause division over this reality. I was warned about Pentecostal churches. Now I am one. I I, I was warned about those crazy churches. And sometimes... We do get a little crazy, but we're crazy about Jesus. I remember when we were in that journey as a church, you know, Pentecostal was a scary word for us. And so we, what kind of church are we, Pastor? Um, Well, we were Baptist, kind of. Um, Maybe we're Bapticostal now. Do you remember some of those conversations, Clay? Maybe we're Bapticostal. I don't know what we are. Hopefully we're a Holy Spirit-inspired, word-teaching, tongue-talking people who love God and love people. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How did Jesus get anointed with power in the Holy Ghost? Look at Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here's what you have to understand. Jesus didn't need to be born again because he was born in the Spirit. He was conceived miraculously. So he had the Holy Spirit in him, but he did no ministry. Until he got baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
until he got empowered by the Holy Spirit. He lived 30 years without doing ministry until this event. And the dove came out, like, or the, the Holy Spirit came like a dove. And so a lot of people say, well, we got to see a dove. It said like a dove. It wasn't a dove. I heard this story. I can't tell you for, or for sure if it's true, but it's one of those churches that probably do it for show. And this one pastor, he, he was at a pulpit, and above, above the pulpit was actually access to the attic. And so he's trying to get the church like to embrace the dove, right? And so he had one of his youth take a dove and put it in a cage. And he went up into the attic. He told him, go up in the attic. And when I say, and the dove, the Holy Spirit came like a dove, drop the dove. And so he's there, he goes, and the Holy Spirit came like a dove. Nothing happened. And the Holy Spirit came like a dove. Nothing happened. And the Holy Spirit came like a dove. Then he heard this voice. He says, Pastor, a cat ate the Holy Ghost. You want me to throw the cat down? <laughs> I don't know for sure if that's true. I was told it was true. We don't have any desire to try to fake anything. We want an authentic, empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to fake healings. We're not going to exaggerate healings. We're going to be authentic and honest, but we're going to see him come because we're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I love this script. Just go back to that, Brenda, Matthew 3. Look at this expression. Jesus needed this affirmation from his father before he stepped into ministry. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had this, this, this anointing of revelation of the Father's pleasure over him. When you get anointed, when you get baptized by the Holy Spirit, it is an experience where all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm his son, whom God is well pleased. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, 9, that Jesus was anointed with gladness above all his comrades. Say gladness. How many would like a fresh endowment of gladness? Come on now. This comes with the Holy Spirit. Is this revelation that you are his son, you are a daughter, in whom he's well pleased. It doesn't come through theology. I've tried to convince people it doesn't work. It comes through an encounter of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened to the 120 people. All of a sudden, they were afraid and timid. All of a sudden, they lost all fear. They're out in the very streets that Jesus was drugged down with the cross. They can't contain themselves because of the oil of gladness and the boldness of the revelation of the resurrected Christ. Say, I cannot be contained. I have a contagious joy. I have a contagious power. I have a revelation of the Father's love. I cannot be silenced. Yeah, 3,000 get saved, 5,000 get saved. As the Father sent me, so send I you. After he gets baptized, he goes into the temple, Jesus does. He opens up Isaiah, he reads it, it's recorded in Luke chapter 4. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable day of the Lord. He was saying, I am the Messiah. But here's the thing, you guys. The, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Would he send you into mission unless he wanted to anoint you with the same thing? No, he wouldn't. He would set you up for failure. He wants you to be able to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim release to captives, to recovery of the blind. The Lord wants that for you. And he wants that for me. So, I don't know if you'll join me or not, but I'm just asking for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. Will you wait upon him for that? We're in day four. Actually, there's actually there's six more days and then seven more days and then Pentecost. No, six more days and then Pentecost. Will you set aside time to wait upon the Lord, to lean in for an empowering work of the Holy Spirit? I want to talk about anointing. Young people, you can look at your papers now. A little bit about this word anointing. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this. In James chapter 5, it says, If any of you are sick, call the elders, right? And they'll anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal you. I, I know there's some people here that need a touch of healing. And so the Bible actually says, Call upon the elders, they'll anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal. And so... When we anoint with oil as elders, basically we have a little, va- little jar and we pour it out. And we, you know, we do the little, a little dab will do ya. you. Know, a, little, a little dab. If we're Catholic, we go, a little dab will do ya. Right? Right? And so we think of anointing like a little dab. But actually the word anointing means to pour out upon, to smear, or to thoroughly rub in oil. It it's actually also means to be overwhelmed. So in the Hebrew, it means to pour. And we see all this in the Old Testament. If you do some study in the Old Testament, they would pour out oil to represent the Holy Spirit, to represent you're being set apart by God. I have one scripture in Exodus 29.7 about Aaron, the priest. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And so we have a whole bunch of that. Anointing means to pour, not dab. And so we have the woman in in Matthew 26, 7, who comes with the alabaster flask, right? And she comes and she pours costly perfume on Jesus. And they say it was a year's worth of wages, which means with this costly perfume, it was a big bottle. It wasn't a little dabble, do you? This, it'd be like, can, we, can I pour 16 ounces of oil on you? Yeah. That's what the scholars said it must have been, about 16 ounces of oil, because it was a year's worth of salary. And so this woman poured it on, and Jesus said, he, she's anointed me. Jesus said, she's anointed me for burial. So anointing doesn't mean a little dab will do you. Anointing means that you are smeared with the Holy Spirit. From head to toe, you're whole, overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. How many are willing to be, go beyond the dab will do you? 
Most of the uh, dictionaries that talk about the word anoint actually refer to the idea of dipping cloth into dye so the color of the cloth is totally changed. Um, But if you go back 200 years before Christ, the earliest reference to the word uh, um, baptism, which is, is connected to anointing, is a little bit different. And this is one of the things I think, let me see if I can help you with this. Anointing comes from relationship. Baptism comes with an encounter. Okay, so when Brenda and I went to these services, we got baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. We didn't know for sure what was going on, but to carry that anointing from day to day, I have to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So we're pursuing, some of you have never been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is what happened to the disciples in Acts chapter 1-8. They got baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to refer to the baptism um, here real quick. The word baptism is the word baptismal. And it says, um, and the word baptismal means to immerse, submerge, or completely overwhelm. And so this is the earliest term to describe that in language 200 years before Christ. It says this, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, to overwhelm. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptismal is is the text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander who lived about 200 BC. It is a recipe for making pickles. Ready to get pickled? Nicando says that in order to make pickle, a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped into boiling water and then baptized in the vinegar solution. Now look at this. The act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. I can say that when Brenda and I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the subsequent work of the Holy Spirit from salvation, when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit, you get cleansed, you're sealed as a son or daughter. Okay? You can be secure in your salvation, but you're probably not going to be an empowered witness. To be an empowered witness, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an encounter of power with God. And it looks different for different people. It doesn't come the same way. Brenda and I had different experiences, but we were forever changed. What was the change? Well, when the Bible says all things are possible for those who believe, we believe. That nothing is impossible with God, we believe. We have expectation that God is going to do something powerful in every service that we gather and everywhere we walk and our feet shall trod. We have an expectation that God's going to show up. Brenda and I are just ordinary people. We're not trained and educated. This is what John and Peter was accused of. They were healing people. Acts chapter 4. They healed the guy at the um, temple. He healed him. He'd been lame since birth, right? Gets up. Peter, all of a sudden empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaches this convicting message they get arrested they get flogged say don't do this anymore they say well are we to obey god or man right you guys know this and then in acts chapter four you guys can read it i think it's verse 38 i'm not sure i have it but honey don't i'll get you messed up if you go there 
He said, they were so amazed, these uneducated and unmen, untrained men, fishermen. Somebody say fishermen. They were astonished that these men were doing what they were doing. They had the boldness. And it says, but then they recognized they had been with Jesus. I, I was teasing Charlene this morning because she came in and her face looks like she'd been sunburned by the sunshine. And I said, you've been out in the sun today, haven't you? She said, yes. And then I said, I think that's what we're supposed to look like when we've been with Jesus. Like everybody looks at us and goes, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? Yes. I've been with Jesus. I've been anointed. I've been anointed. So Acts chapter uh, 4. There's the last thing I just want to, I want to show you um, in Acts chapter 2. When, when Peter preaches this message, and I'm winding up. Peter said to them in uh, chapter 2, verse 38, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, somebody say promise. Who is this promise for? Now, a lot of churches say that the book of Acts, what happened at Pentecost was just for that group of people. But now that we have the Bible, we no longer need that Pentecostal Experience. A lot of churches teach that. Good churches, by the way. People I love. But look at what, what Peter says. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. That's us. Who is the promise for? Us. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the early church. It's for today. I hope, I, hope you're getting, I hope you're getting convinced by the word of God. It is for us. And some people, and I've talked with people, and they say, well, I, I, just, I just feel uncomfortable praying for more of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I know that I have the Holy Spirit because I believe in him. And, and I said, you're right. You do. You have the Holy Spirit. However, Somebody say there's more. <laughs> We've become all too familiar with the God we hardly know. We're talking about the creator of the universe, okay? So our, if we're going to represent the creator of the universe, we better have some power, right? And so the, Jesus actually addressed this very question in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 11 through 13. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why don't you stand with me? I, I just believe the Lord wants to endue you and endue me with a fresh work of power. I, I don't believe that we can follow him in this culture, in this generation, and be the witnesses that Jesus has called us to do in our own strength. Anybody agree? The Bible says, not by might, 
nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm inviting you to lean in. I send out an email every morning, either Mariah, Jason, or I, just to give you an opportunity like to lean in for a fresh waiting upon God for the Holy Spirit to come upon your lives. And, and God's going to answer your requests. We have not because we ask not. And so really what I invite you to do, we're going to finish with a song of just inviting God to move upon us again. But I just invite you to like, if you would, close your eyes, hold out your hands, and just, I, I want you to like, first of all, say, yes, Lord, I'll be your witness. I will be your witness on this earth. You know, I, I, will, I will consecrate my life. I'm committed to be a witness of Jesus Christ on this earth. And I know I can't do that in my own strength. I need your power. And I, I want to be a deliverer. I want to actually partner with you to destroy the works of the devil. I want to heal those who are oppressed by the devil. I want to be anointed to proclaim the good news of Jesus. This, this, I'm putting words in your mouth, I know, but, but may that be your heart, as it is my heart. God, we, we put ourselves before you as living sacrifices, God. We want to walk in the revelation that you don't want one person to perish. And we want to have the power and boldness of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Not just to speak the truth, but demonstrate the truth in power. So Lord, we're here available. We're asking. And we're going to stay in this posture all the way through next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. We're asking for a fresh endowment, anointing, of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just stay in that posture and let's worship with the team in finishing here. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary.